0: Good morning listeners, we're chatting to Coral Faree who's in a studio in Paris, and she is our Artist Awake for this episode three of Art With Purpose AM. Now Coral, you've recently celebrated your 80th birthday. No, not recently, that was three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> three years ago, goodness gracious me. It feels like it it was last year. But your life traces a long and significantly observant journey. And your dedication to art, not only demonstrated through your teaching career, but through your lifelong dedication to translating the sand stories collected personally by you from your beloved Bushmen in Botswana and Namibia. And then of course your extensive travels to the rock engraving sites, through your writings, and in the last 22 years specifically through your art. Do you want to delve deeply into the reverence and the symbolism of your work? But right now, and for our listeners, I want you to tell me about your early beginnings around the fireside of your mentors, and I want you to weave the story of coral. And I want you to tell me about the space where the seeds of magic and wonder first germinated.
1: It's so part of me. I mean, it, it was etched indelibly onto my subconscious mind. My lifestyle even, the way that I raised my kids and everything, the way that I've learned from these people not to to fuss too much about things, but just to take life as it comes daily and whatever life throws at you, to take it and to deal accordingly. I mean, their simple lifestyle had taught me what greatness there is in simplicity. They are such rich people. I once took a professor of the Argentine to meet. He wanted to collect artifacts from the Bushmen, so I took him out into the Kalahari to the Bushmen, to my friends that I had known. And um, he took his secretary along. And Maria was crying one morning and I said to her, Maria, what's wrong? Why why are you crying so much? Look at your eyes. She says, I feel so sorry for these people. They are so poor and I have so much and I want to give it to them. And I said to her, Maria, come with me. And we walked to their fireside where they were sitting around the fire and they were having a ball, clapping hands and talking and babbling away and laughing. I said to her, do these people look worried? Do they look sad? She said, no, they're so happy. I said, exactly, they are happier than you are because they are where they belong and they don't want what you have and that simplicity to be happy with whatever you have or whatever life throws your way to make the best of it and never to compare yourself to others
0: and the landscape the landscape of the your child. Oh,
1: i think somewhere on my website my motto was written that horizon restrict my view a road restrict my journey so the wilderness in which I grew up, the open spaces with a big, with other people would say nothingness. Also, I feel claustrophobic when I am between the sea and the mountain.
0: Mm.
1: Other people would love that, to see the mountain on the one side and to see the seascape on the other side. I feel cross I want the open spaces, the mm-hmm. open spaces, where the grasslands, the maple yellow, golden colours ah. of the grasses, and where the horizon meets the haziness of the blue sky, and there is no horizon. Yeah,
0: there's just that vast
1: expanse. It lives in my heart, that is me. I just love those vast expanses. I would never wanted to be fences in. But those colours too imprinted on my psyche.
0: Absolutely. When I went over to your website, um, just for the listeners, your website address is I do want to touch a little on your your experience and your wonderful opportunity to work with Walter Batters. But, but really what moved me so much about reading up about you and your fascinating life is that deep reverence. And I think what you did say about Walter Battis is how he really sort of helped you to hone in on your observation skills. Speak to us briefly about, yeah, about uh, that. Uh, Walter Battis is
1: actually, he, he's quite a grumpy man. He was not a very pleasant person, <laughs> but um, and he didn't like our group, our class. He, he didn't think much of us, but after one holiday I came back from home and I brought him a little pouch, a Bushman pouch made of skin. And he said to me, but where did you get this? I said to him, I know the Bushman. And you know, it was as if uh, his eyes lit up. And then I told him where I come from and so on. And he sort of liked me. (laughs) Yes, I can imagine. (laughs) The thing with Walter Mattis is that then he would pay more attention to what I did and helped me a lot and he taught us in the group we were divided in three groups he taught us what was printing skills okay <laughs> so we were di- divided in three groups one group did etching the other serigraphy and the other group did lino cuts and i was in the group with the lino cutting and uh, immediately when i did a gecko and i put this gecko on a circle and he came to me and he said to me that comes from your background i said yes Mm -hmm. Uh, that is the geckos that we hear at night in the kalahari and then he he also said to me but uh, 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 yes uh, things like that i can't remember his words anymore but he made me aware of colors that i must I must become more aware of the colors around me and the colors that influence me. And on the other hand, he taught us figure drawing. And one thing that I'll never forget is that he looked at the figure as the figure was standing there and he would say to us, now look at this reflected light. The reflected light on this body is in a greenish color. All the students were just looking at him and, why, where do you see green in this color, you know? (sighs) And he made me aware of to to look for color in places you don't expect it. And then, uh, on the other hand, when I was with Bill Ainsley at the Johannesburg Art Foundation, Bill Ainsley taught me how to observe properly, I mean, where do you get an artist who's more abstract than Bill Ainsley? But Bill Ainsley taught me how to observe. He gave me a white still life on a white shelf against a white wall and said to me, draw. <laughs> uh, I mean, mm. on a white sheet of paper, I must draw all this white. So I said, oh, that's easy. So within three hours, I was finished. And I took it to him, he said to me, uh-uh, you don't, you can't observe. So he showed me the different shades of, the, the different shades of shadow, the different shades of light. Wow. And I worked on That's the Life for three days, from nine o'clock in the morning till seven o'clock in the evenings and for three days and when I showed him the work he said to me ah, you've learned something but then it looked like, I mean like a photograph
0: yeah
1: okay. so like a black and white photograph and, and he taught me observation so the, the two of them uh, taught me observation in colour and in line and and shade and form. Uh, As a teacher, that helped me a lot to teach my pupils.
0: Mm. I just loved your video. And my favorite part of your video, the one that Professor Ati actually compiled for you. Oh yeah. What I loved most about that entire video was Oh goodness just the picture of you holding that ostrich egg in your hands and the tenderness and the the reverence taking this gift of your bushman friend and how you described that what we what we're looking at and what we are experiencing is not abstract depictions of shapes or um, objects but that this was like a map this was a a map into his life and your art now that I understand just that story of the ostrich egg and the meaning and the revelation that came to you from just understanding that art that art traced kind of a journey of the soul rather than just this abstract misunderstood collection of objects on either an egg or on a form so coral you said that how this time is translated into your work you indicated that this time has added silence to it so i'd like us to speak about your work and i'd like to discuss your expression of time and space through your work but i'd also like you to add to why you said, but this time has added silence to it. In the
1: Kalahari, and where I grew up, everything was very
0: silent.
1: I love silence. That's why I can can never live by the sea, because the sea makes me anxious. The silence that was added now with in this lockdown period was to me a blessing. Suddenly, there wasn't the hush and the buzz of traffic and the planes going over and it it was silent. And I could hear the birds and I could hear the doves and everything was silent and there was a sort of a calmness that came over me. And calmness and silence is part of time and space because both of them are silent you can't observe time you cannot observe space they are abstract entities but still they are there and they are part of the silence it is as if that silence was getting into myself and i was so calm and suddenly i wasn't working when i painted i was more calm and I worked steadier and I was more thinking of what I was doing and to me it was
0: I could concentrate more on what I was doing. Yes, how does your painting depict time and space?
1: The space of course is the blank canvas in front of you.
0: Okay, I get the feeling when I when I look at your work Coral that I'm overwhelmed by the mystery of your work. It's quite fascinating. I feel as if I'm looking at some sort of soul code or something, a language that you're bringing across. Yeah, I
1: use the metaphor of the symbols, the rock art symbols. I use it as metaphors for time those symbols were engraved on rocks over many thousands of years some of them and they are very old so they are timeless and i use them as a metaphor for time Mm. especially what we call the sun the sun symbol the circular ones Uh, to me they are a metaphor of for time and you know i knew uh, credo mutwa very well and we sat and i had made a lot of sketches of these um symbols and i went to credo mutwa because he has this incredible knowledge of early africa of africa the africa that that we don't know not even the africans know about he's such a knowledgeable man about the history of ancient Africa and I sat with Krita Mutwa for a couple of days and we were talking through these symbols and what they could mean I mean uh, the, the person who made that symbol on the rock one would never know what went through that mind Please. uh Millenniums ago. But Credo and I tried to sort out sort of meanings for these symbols. And I made a list of that and I used them accordingly. Like the ladders, even in the Old Testament, the ladder was uh, used as a symbol for connection between earth and heaven. And it's strangely enough, the most ladder symbols that we get on rock art are seven-seven rung ladders. Mm. And you know, the ladder originated from making a trunk of a tree with with the, with the branches coming out, and that was put against the rock. Or wherever they wanted to climb on and so the original ladder was the trunk of a tree with different branches mm. and that eventually then became a ladder and with two trunks of trees and put together so uh, that is the type of thing that we would talk about and of course the different symbols of The circle with a dot in would be a fountain. And then the zigzag symbol would be a a symbol of water, which is life. And many a time you would find that these zigzag symbols are used in a vertical manner on top of a, a dying or an animal meaning that the spirit of the animal is leaving the body so that uh, symbol the zigzag symbol can mean life or soul or spirit in whichever way you use it either vertical or horizontal so uh, that is the type of thing that i that i work into my work into my uh, paintings i do it (laughs) Unconsciously, not mm. consciously doing it, uh, auspicious. Yes. <laughs> what is auspicious in English?
0: On purpose. <laughs> I don't yeah. do it. Yeah, you don't do it on purpose. Yeah.
1: It comes naturally in a way that that I I feel it must do something. But yes, that's the way I use the symbols. Most of these symbols that I use has to do with peace.
0: Okay.
1: Peace and life.
0: Yeah, that is the sense I have. And Coral, when you begin a painting, you have absolutely no idea what it's going to become.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I start with a mark. <laughs> oh. I start with a mark and it just flows from one mark to another mark. And, and sometimes I would just splash paint uh, on a, a big area and uh, work from there. I would like to say I work
0: the Kodensky way. Yes, how lovely, I like that. You've mentioned that you're experiencing quite a lot of difficulty in actually getting the exposure that you
1: Well, Jeannie, my lifelong, my whole married life and before, uh, we lived in a way I could develop my own thing. I wasn't influenced by other artists and I could develop over time and, and I collect things that I wanted to collect that was my interest and I collected the thing that interested me and uh, got enough material. So when I started full-time art career as an artist at the age of 60, I was well equipped with enough background material into which I could delve and do my thing. Um, As my one daughter said to me, what is this drive that you have? Mm. And then I would say to her, but my sweetheart, you know, I only started at 60. There's of a backlog that I I have to catch up. And uh, I have so much to say with my work that it is driving me. Like you are also working Mm. at night and I also love working at night. I'm a night owl. I love working at night. Yes, that was my drive uh, when I started painting full-time. If there is one thing I regret, is that I
0: should have started earlier in my life. I can so relate to that. We've covered quite a lot of ground with respect to where your inspiration comes from and um, you not getting the exposure. But one of the things that you said to me, Coral, uh, in those questions, and I really really appreciated it because I can so relate when I asked what are you doing differently you said you found that you're working slower as if time is no more an issue and
1: yeah actually only since since lockdown since this silence came over me I was starting to work slower and uh, and more attentively to what I was doing It is as if uh, I'm more thinking in the process of creating and doing things more deliberately, uh, but slower. Yes, the lockdown has slowed me down too. I don't have that urgency.
0: I don't a feeling of urgency to finish this work today. It's so interesting because I'm experiencing the exact same. Oh, yes. do you? Yes. And, and I feel that what I want to produce, the sense of reverence has come into my work where I, I personally don't want to rush. I want to yes. take cognizance. And also you were speaking about this deep sense of circumspection that you have when you're actually creating your work. But I find that I'm also wanting to really give the painting the moment and really be present in that moment. Mm. Mm. Exactly. It's so wonderful. Oh. It's actually been a wonderful lesson for me. I also loved how you said um, <laughs> how you described that house cleaning um, a mop is like a giant brush, except. No, instead of painting, you cleanse it. that. Even the process of cleaning your house has become, I get the sense, something quite holy and something quite... Yeah, I don't know if you want to expand on that.
1: I'm not a very domesticated woman. I'm, I, my, my house must be a tidy, but not neat. So I don't go uh, dusting and mopping and cleaning all day. To me there are things and cooking. I, I don't like cooking either. So I don't, <laughs> I, don't sp- I spend much time in the kitchen or in my home. I feel that I have more to say on the canvas and which is more important than going dusting
0: or cleaning. Yes, absolutely let's talk about your if you had one thing to say that you wanted to say to other creatives, to other artists actually to anybody what what would your message to everybody be? Um, Dedication it's the only word
1: and yeah don't make the same mistake that I did well I don't think looking back I wouldn't say it was a mistake I put my Um, children, my family, I put them before myself and my art and that's why I only started full-time painting when other people retire. On my 60th birthday I announced formally to my family that I was going to become a full-time painter although I had served on the South African Arts Association for six years on the national on the national committee. And I dedicated so much time uh, serving other artists. During that time we had at least 10 exhibitions per year for other artists in Lichtenberg. And because they had this fabulous, lovely uh, art a museum and I was the chair at that stage so I dedicated more more time in promoting other people than promoting my own art. Mm. And I started with an art school in my home studio and so I didn't ever have time for myself to start working on my own art because I had to earn an income. Yeah. And my work is not that type of work that is very popular, like uh, still life or um, portraits or landscapes, the conventional thing. So I couldn't make a living of my art. And of course, always being uh, in the rural areas, I didn't have that exposure to promote my art. It's only now that people come to realize that there's more meaning into my art than just what
0: what the eye sees. I really do hope that many more people would actually look at your art, because I look at your art. And I feel as if I am definitely taking a journey, but I'm taking a journey within, and that your your works and your symbols are unlocking secrets for me, but in my very soul, in my very, um, very difficult to describe, but it feels to me as if your work speaks, speaks to my soul. It speaks to me.
1: And There's many people, many uh, people who can relate to my work all all say that, of thing that you are saying now Mm. Uh, those people who can relate to my work are so few and far between (laughs) and to get to them is a problem now of course we have facebook and we have all these uh, other things but um, uh, earlier in my life we didn't have it if i could have had more exhibitions That would have been wonderful. But most of the galleries that I had gone to and asked them for exhibitions would say but my work won't sell. So it's not commercial, not commercially orientated and it won't sell. Now, I don't mind that. As a matter of fact, I find it uh, quite a compliment. Mm. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I can understand.
0: Although
1: I would have liked I, I like selling my work, but it's to me, fortunately, uh, I have a husband who earns a good, relatively good pension, and we are not relying on the sales. Mm. So I have, at the moment, I have here in my studio more than 80, 90 works standing mm. that I just put on Facebook, and not even all of them.
0: Yes. You have a um, very strong international following though.
1: Yes, yes, uh, yeah. internationally, but to get to them. You know, when, when I was invited, I was invited to to exhibit in, in France, in Paris and in Berlin, uh, but every time I didn't have the, the money to go. Yes, There everything was paid for but I had to get myself and my works there, and I yeah. never had the funds to do that. So I never had the exposure of. Fortunately, my husband now is an, a tourist guide, and many tourists come here to the fairford Dome. And when the uh, international tourists see my work, they they really like it. Yeah. It is as if I think one of the questions that you ask, what is keeping me awake at night? Yes, yes, yes. Nothing really keeps me awake at night, but when I do think, when I wake up and I would think of the the poor education that people have in our country of art. Yes. And what what art is, what art entails. Um, then that keeps me a bit awake. The Europeans, even the Americans, are far ahead, uh, not only analysis, but
0: to appreciate art. Yeah, I remember when I went to visit my daughter in New Zealand, I was blown away by how many young people and how how many people were in the art galleries and in the art museums Yes. Our cul- yes. the New Zealand culture so supports art there's always something happening yeah. and you know in as much as we have our cultural events I, w- I was absolutely blown away by the number of young people who were there because by their own choice by their own volition they were there it wasn't a school yeah. tour or it was this and that
1: we had this
0: lovely art
1: museum in Lichtenberg where I was a chair and we, I taught the, at the school in the location and I was in education and training teaching art and um, I would take my kids to the museum.
0: Mm.
1: It was during apartheid and I had to get special permission from the not the mayor the city clerk but I took my kids there with uh, lists which they had to fill in and, and look at the paintings and, and, and you know sort of uh, make a study of
0: things yes.
1: and the gallery was above uh, the, the library and one of the librarians said to me you know you are the only art teacher or the only teacher that ever bring kids in
0: here. Oh, that's I mean there hard. are
1: five different schools in town
0: mm-hmm. but
1: my kids from the location came in by bus to visit the art uh, the, uh, the art museum whereas the kids in the town never visited the art museum. Things like that was is, for me is very disturbing mm-hmm. that the teachers don't have insight in art and the teachers are not interested in educating art.
0: I wonder if this, this experience that we've gone through, where, where we've actually been deprived of that sort of activity. I, I am hoping that once we emerge from this lockdown and we are once again able to attend exhibitions, I really do hope that we will see a lot more young people actually appreciating art. There's so few people in South Africa
1: know the difference between interior decorating and art.
0: (laughs) Oh, forgive me laughing, but it's... No, it's it's sad, but it's true. Mm, It is true.
1: Yeah, and the few people that really appreciate my art are even fewer. (laughs) You know, when the first time that Anneli Dempsey, and she's become a very great Big friend of mine, Anneli Dempsey, is, is being regarded as one of the five best curators in the country. Mm. And uh, when she first saw my art, I was privileged. It was one of the highlights of my life to exhibit at at the University of Johannesburg. Anneel Dempsey just blew her top. She said, "This is this is the most." exciting exhibition that she had in ta- in, 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 in a long time mm. and to me that was a, coming from her it, it is such a compliment yeah. and I I believe in my work as artworks I believe in my work as good art but I don't find that many people appreciate it that way but um, mm it is their
0: problem not mine I believe in your art Coral I know I know (laughs) I really love chatting to you thank you so much Coral and uh, I really I really hope that people that listen to your podcast uh, or listen to your interview actually go and take the time to spend some time spend time with your work Yeah, they must just go to
1: my website and see where it comes from. It could be a problem, you know, because uh, the background of my art is very, it's not
0: something that people are familiar with. Oh no, I think think they'll definitely be able to engage.
1: Yeah, but people who have more of a spiritual feeling, um, insight, would appreciate it. Jenny, Mm. yes, as much as I enjoy your work. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. One can immediately see when uh, art comes from the heart Mm. or when it comes from a picture.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. That's what I see in your work. (laughs) Mm. Thank you for for your uh, input in the art world.
1: I think you are doing such a big, okay, call it a favor to mankind in
0: South Africa. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much.
1: To show your work and and, and your work is, is, uh, to me, I just love it and
0: one day we can have a swap. Oh, wonderful. I know exactly which one, but I think you've probably sold it by now. No. I still I still Still oh that's wonderful. Yeah, thank you.